Blog Talk Radio. From Washington, D.C., this is Caroline. Each week, we bring you the best conversations, news, interviews, and politics here on Caroline. To hear the show live, check us out each Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern or listen on the go by downloading this podcast from iTunes. the best conversations, news, interviews, and politics here on Caroline. To hear the show live, check us out each Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, or listen on the go by downloading this podcast from iTunes. Okay, I thought I'd start out with, uh, since I have an old school player, I thought I'd start out with something old school today. Tonight's guest. Well, today is, I always have to start with the date. Today is Tuesday, April 21st, 2009. Tonight's guest is NBA veteran and current color analyst for the Celtics, Cedric Maxwell. Feel free to join in with the conversation by entering our chat room or um, calling in with your comments and questions at 347. 347- Nine four five seven four one five. Again, the number is three four seven nine four five seven four one five. And I want to start with a little quote in Wikipedia. 
regarding uh, Maxwell's history. I thought this was pretty interesting to take us back. It says Maxwell made an impact in the second season with the Celtics, while Boston was mirrored in an otherwise awful 78-79 season as they awaited Larry Bird's decision to sign with the franchise. The second year power forward averaged 19 points and 9.9 rebounds per game. The Celtics would go just 21-53 on the year. But the young Maxwell's potential, along with the promising addition of Bird and others, set the stage for what would become an NBA dynasty. Welcome, Cedric Maxwell. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And before I start, I see that there is a caller already on the line. So before I start with my own question, just this caller on the air. Okay. Uh, caller, your first name and tell me where you're from. Hello. Hello. From North Carolina. Hi. Hi. What's your comment or question? Hello. I'm just listening in. Oh, okay. Okay, no problem. All right. I'll, I'll I'll put you back on uh, hold. Okay. All right. Here we go. Um, before I get into the crest of everything and in regards to the playoffs, um, it was reported that Danny Ainge had a minor heart attack on Thursday morning, and I know that all the Boston Celtics fans want to know how is he doing. Well, he's doing fine right now. He was, uh, I think he was released two days ago. He's back home. He's out of the hospital. Uh, reportedly, it was a minor heart attack. It wasn't anything, it wasn't a major. They put a stent in. Uh, he had a blockage in, I think it was the artery. I think one of them was almost 100%. So it wasn't anything that was, you know, really, really good. But then again, they caught it on time, and Danny is uh, now hopefully on his way to a full recovery. Uh, is he attending any of the games? I, I hope that he's not, because he'd probably get excited uh, watching the Celtics at uh, in his first in the first series here. Well, that's the first thing that Doc Rivers said about last night's game with Chicago Bulls. Uh, it was an exciting game. Uh, it got down to the end, and Ray Allen had a jump shot uh, with two tenths of a second. I mean, two sec two point two on the clock, and. Uh, as for when, when the Celtics won the game, Doc Rivers, the first thing he did walk in his news conference and said, I just hope Danny Ainge wasn't watching the end of this basketball game in, in a joking manner. And that's right. just the love and the concern everybody has for Danny. Oh, oh, of course. Now, last year it was like uh, old time, Celtics versus Lakers in the finals. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. for, for any major basketball fan, that's like the, the dream final, at least, at least for uh, anyone who – Followed the Celtics and the Lakers for years. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the what would you say since you follow the team and you, you're on the road with the team um, uh, during the whole season? What would you say is the major difference between this year's final, well last year's final, and the finals when you were playing during the Celtics? Well, I think one is coverage, athleticism. It's a different game now than I played. Uh, guys are bigger, stronger, and faster. Kevin Garnett at seven foot one and a half is now a a power forward slash small forward in the NBA. So guys have gotten a lot bigger. Uh, coverage is now more international than it was during the uh, particular period when I played. Uh, and it's just a you know it's just a a well rounded game. Now I will you know I will definitely defend my era and say we played better, but athletically, I think the guys right now are better and stronger, but maybe not just better basketball players. Hmm. That, that, and that's interesting to say they play better. You know, I and that goes to something else that I was going to add into that. You know, even though last year's final had a lot of hoopla and the fans were excited, and and you know, I regarding the playing better and, and getting the fans involved, do you think that you will see a rivalry like? Bird and Magic again, or let's say would it be Pierce and Kobe, or Garnett versus Kobe? Well, I think if you know they they would love to have that. I think it was a great situation, Kobe and Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. I think it was a a perfect storyline for a perfect ending. I can't see how the Boston Celtics would have wanted to win another championship without beating the Los Angeles Lakers for their seventeenth title. So I think it was a great scenario for the Celtics last year. Uh, everybody picked the Lakers, 
in the finals last year. The Celtics were the better basketball club, and they just really worked out well. You know, the Celtics absolutely destroyed the Lakers in the sixth game, and everybody who's ever worn green, thought about green, or pretended to have green on, and were very proud of what the Celtics did to the Lakers in that particular game in that series. You know, that's, that's interesting. And going back to the differences between the, the, the league then and now, do you think uh, the players, you know, I, I, I've followed basketball over the years, and it seemed back in the 80s and I guess the uh, early 90s, they were playing for the love of the game. I, I don't get the feeling that that's, they have the same um, uh, thought about basketball when they're playing now. Not, not that I don't say they don't enjoy the game, but it, it just seems like the uh, you can you can see the difference. Well, I think it. I think if anything, uh, you know, I think they're just as passionate, uh, if not so. I think that they show it in a different way. This is a different era. It's more of a hip hop generation. Uh, it's about me right now. So they show it, it completely different than we did. Uh, you know, to their, you know, everybody really showing, trying to show everybody up. Everybody coming up with steps. Everybody. You know their their routines before the game, and it's just really taking on another field. But the passion and the love for the game—if you see those primary players, and like Kobe Bryant, LeBron—you know, is a love still for that round ball that uh, can't be compared to anything else. Right, right. Um, and going back to Ray Allen and, and the game. Now, the first game um, seems like Ray Allen was trying to find his stride. There's an uh, article on the, uh, actually the, the um, station that you work for, WEEI, written by Jeff Goodman, and he stated, um, he said it happened, it happened over and over in the playoffs last season against Cleveland and Detroit before the perennial NBA All-Star finally rediscovered his smooth shooting stroke just in time to knock off the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals. But the Celtics can't afford to wait for Allen to find his shot. There's not with Kevin Garnett likely to be out for the entire postseason. Allen was one for 12 from the field, missed all six of his shots from beyond the three-point arc, and the 105 to 103 overtime loss in Chicago in Game One of the first-round series. But like you said, you know he he came back last night, and uh, I have a clip of um, Doc Rivers' comments. Up that was uh, that was terrific. We we really needed somebody at halftime. You got Rondo landing in the training room and Leon injured and guys in foul trouble. And you know, basically all I said at halftime, I needed one volunteer. You know, one volunteer to score for us, to step up for us. Um, and it was Ray Allen, and, and that was terrific. Games I've been in, that's as good as I've seen. Um, you know, especially when you factor in he had Chase Gordon all around who was on fire as well. Uh, it was a UConn shootout. You know, that's what it felt like at one point. Um, so, I mean, he had to be exhausted on one end uh, and, and then making shots on the other. Um, but Ray makes big shots, and that's what we said in the timeout. If we can get them open, guys, they didn't need much room. One of the key for us in this game was when we had the foul trouble and we had Paul at four and we weathered the storm enough to get in at halftime, that down by, by 15. That was huge for us. I think Paul kept looking for double teams. Um, and, you know, we worked on so much film work and showed them all the double teams and how we were going to space. Hell, maybe I spoke to him out, you know, really. Because um, we, we really worked on our space and I thought we gave him a ton of space. But he was almost waiting for somebody to come for double teams and you know, so we'll watch some more. Um, we're going to need him, uh, and, and he can do it. That's that's the good news for us. Okay, let me give the uh, callers the number again. Three four seven nine four five seven four one five. Three four seven nine four five seven four one five. That was Doc Rivers, and. You know, I love Doc Rivers as a coach. You know, he seems to be in tune with the players and understand their strengths and weaknesses. But it appears to be a miss in the last couple of regular season games and the first two playoff games trying to coach uh, around the absence of Kevin Garnett. Now, hypothetically speaking, if Boston versus Cleveland makes it to the Final Four, how does Boston defend LeBron James without Garnett? 
it well, was I, and, you well, I, I think it's. Yeah, I, I think it was a very difficult situation. I, even if Garnett's there, it was a highlight film last year where uh, LeBron James came in, and that time you had he beat Paul Pierce and James Posey, who was with the team last year, beat James Posey. Last line of defense was Kevin Garnett, and by the time Kevin Garnett got there, uh, he was already King James was already in the hole. So. I, I don't know if you're going to defend a guy like that. I think the other thing that you have to do against a team like Cleveland is you just have to take away the other pieces. Mo Williams has been a huge addition for him. Delonte uh, West has been a uh, was a godsend again this year. He's from you know the Washington D.C. area, so you you have guys right now who are stepping up. El Galskis, uh, so you have other guys who are stepping up who are making plays. And you're not going to stop a guy like LeBron. What you have to do is try to contain him. But, again, the absence of Kevin Garnett really hurts the Celtics in the fact now that they're giving up nearly 10 more points a game. Uh, the offense is on the other side right now before Kevin Garnett uh, got hurt. We're averaging about 95 points a game, and that's pretty good defense in the NBA. It's like the one, two, three in there. Now teams are averaging almost 105 points a game. So if you give 10 more points to the opposition and the margin of error in the NBA could be one or two points, it just shows you how the Celtics have played pretty good basketball, even without Kevin Garnett. I think they went in 28 games without Kevin Garnett. The team was 18-10. and 10. So they've had some significant strides. But, again, they just have to understand that Kevin is not going to be back this year. Yeah, and, and, you know, the reason I asked that question, because you guys just played them, uh, what, last week, a week before last, mm-hmm. like before the end of the the, um, the regular season. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, from the outside looking in, it just looked like the Celtics were struggling against Cleveland, and I just wonder, you know, if it does come down to that um, in the East during the Final Four, you know, just how would that match up? Or are there going to be plays, or should, shouldn't there be some plays? And as, you know, as you watch against Chicago, you know, as a fan, it's kind of painful when you you watch the team struggle, and it just seems that you know they're not finding their stride at this time. Well, it's just hard to find your stride. You're missing one of the top players in the NBA, a guy who is the MVP in this league, a guy who will be a first round uh, ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, Kevin Garnett was, you know, arguably last year, I thought. Uh, and he got injured last year for about a 12-game stretch there, which probably hurt him. I thought he was the MVP last year. So in, in my opinion, I've talked about Kevin Garnett in almost glowing terms that I've had people, you know, kind of go at me. I said he might be the second-best Celtic of all time, and I mean behind Bill Russell, but maybe slightly ahead of Larry Bird. And as great as Larry is and was and all those things, he's been such he's a great basketball player. Kevin Garnett does things that Larry Bird wasn't able to do, and that's defend the other side of the court. Everybody says, well, it's not about, hey, he can't score as many points as Bird. He probably never would. But it's not always about the points that you score. Sometimes it's about the points that you don't allow the opposition to get. Yeah, and and I guess, you know, what when I, I really think about my question, I, maybe it wasn't fair in essence because, I think in that particular game you were missing your top three-star player because I think Pierce was out that game and also yeah. uh, Ray Allen, if I'm not mistaken. Well, in that maybe that wasn't maybe that wasn't fair. <laughs> well, in in that particular game against Cleveland, uh, Paul actually played in that game. Oh, Ray yeah, actually yeah. played in that game, uh, and what happened was that the Celtics were in a position where they were locked into their spot. They couldn't go up. They couldn't go down and they wanted to give some people some rest. So Doc Rivers might have played Paul Pierce, you know, maybe about 20 minutes in that game, and Ray Allen ended up getting tossed out of that game with an errant elbow. So it was just it was a game that the Celtics really didn't have a lot riding on, so it didn't seem like they put their full weight in, and Cleveland wanted to establish one thing, and they did, dominance at home the way the Cavaliers have been playing this year. Going back to uh, to KG, uh, he's currently, as we all know, is battling a knee injury. And in your career, you know, you battled the same type of injury. Uh, do you see him or coming back before the uh, season is out, or how long? Based on, I guess, I'm sure medicine has changed quite a bit over the years. But you know, what do you think his recovery time would be? 
Well, medicine has, but ligaments haven't. Okay. And uh, what Kevin Garnett has is, is a would be a reoccurring, I think he has like a bone spur, which rubs against the actual muscle. And when it rubs against the muscle, it irritates the muscle. Then there's swelling. And then once there's swelling, the knee will have a tendency to lock up. So it won't be anything until they actually shave that spur down, get everything cooled down in there. And Kevin Garnett will be back. I actually talked to him, and he said, you know, that, yeah, he probably would end up being shut down. But he just wants it to be right. He wants it to go away. He wants to come back the same way athletically he did in the beginning of the year. So uh, Kevin Garnett will be back in the fall. Uh, you know, it might not be this year, but, uh, you know, he will eventually come back uh, in the in those sacred green, in that sacred green again. Okay, okay. So we shouldn't expect to see him before the, the playoff ends. No, Doc Rivers said he officially, he said it wasn't official, but he said he officially ruled it out that Kevin Garnett, as a matter of fact, he would not even take questions about Kevin Garnett during the during his interview saying Kevin is not here, he will not be here, Kevin is gone, no more questions about Kevin Garnett. Uh, moving on to another player, you guys acquired Stephon Marbury uh, within the last couple months. Um, and, and watching him play, I guess, last night, I'm wondering how long does it usually take for a player to adjust to the new team that they're on? Well, it's not as difficult to adjust to a new team. It's more difficult to adjust to a new system, but not only that, to come back after not playing in almost 13 months. Uh, when you're away from the game that long, the Stephon Marbury's been, he's played some exhibition games, but you can't simulate what goes on in a real NBA game. So he hadn't played in almost 13 months. So he's come back slower than I expected, slower than I hope, slower than the Celtic fans or anybody around the team has. But Stephon Marbury still has a lot of skills. So he's just trying to really bide his time. Maybe eventually he'll hit that stride of knocking down shots and, Getting back to just being Stephon Marbury, a guy taking the ball towards the hole and being aggressive and looking for a shot. Yeah, I, I didn't know if it maybe you know if, he, if it was the the new program, new system that he was in, or he's just trying to find his stride or or what his situation may be. You know, watching him play last night, you know he he passed the ball during the open shot. He, he was clearly open, and I just you know knowing his history, any other time he would have taken that shot. I just wondered. Uh, what the hesitation was, you know, was it just the fact that he's just trying to get acrimonious into the Well, I think his, his old coach, Larry Brown, would be so proud right now, saying, Stephon, this is all I wanted you to do when I coached you in New York with the Knicks. I wanted you to be more of a facilitator, a guy who looked to pass first and then shoot second. Uh, you know, players change. They change with their, their attitudes change over the years, their bodies change, so they go into this little – more condition that they they become other things. And Stephon Marbury is still trying to find himself in this green uniform. You know, he eventually found his way out. He has too much talent, too much skill, and uh, to be kind of let down the way, you know, to play the way he has. But, uh, you know, eventually the cream always rises to the top, and I still, still feel Stephon Marbury has a lot of physical talent. And, again, it's that mental hurdle right now of getting over that. And uh, before I move away from talking about about the Celtics, who who would you say is the the, uh, the sleeper talent on the team? You know, the the, the player that uh, who still has yet to blossom, or we we still yet think that we need we'll see yet to come. Well, I think there are a lot of a lot of guys right now. I think Kendrick Perkins has probably been the most improved player this year. Uh, some people would argue that saying Rajon Rondo, yeah. uh, but. Glenn Davis has played well. So you've got some young players who, has, who have established tempo for the Celtics. Those three guys I talked about last night, Glenn Davis, Perkins, and Rondo. Rondo had a huge triple-double. Perk had a double-double. And um, Glenn Davis had a double-double. And he had jump shot after jump shot after jump shot. So it's not only the, the older players which have helped with this team, but the younger players, uh, in recent games, I have stepped forward and made some huge contributions. And you, you brought up Larry Brown, so that helps me segue to to another topic. Since we, you and I both are from North Carolina, um, let's talk about the Bobcats. 
now. We currently, I think, is Michael Jordan's in the front office, and Larry Brown is now the uh, coach for the Bobcats. Larry Brown has a history of putting together uh, great programs, and Michael Jordan has the Wizards and the forever he's forever linked with the uh, Kwame Brown pick. Uh, do you think they will bump heads with their styles? Well, that? they have. They have. Michael Jordan was at one time Larry Bird, I mean, not Larry Bird, but uh, Larry Brown called uh, Michael out and said, we need you here. He felt Michael was away from the game too much. He felt like he was on the golf course and didn't give his full 100%. And he just wanted his younger players to be able to, you know, get in Michael's head and try to figure out, since Michael was one of the top competitors of all time, just to get in his head and, you know, find out, you know, what he could do and how he could help them. So they've had their little run-ins, but at the same time, you think of it this way, Michael Jordan has made some strides with his team. Uh, when you speak of the Bobcats, because one thing he did in particular was that he started to abandon some of the picks that weren't as good for him. And, you know, some of the guys like Alvin Morrison, who ended up picking with the, uh, I think it was the fifth or sixth pick in the draft behind him, was Rudy Gay, which was who seemed to be better fit as a pro. Uh, Michael shipped him out. Uh, you know, he's done some things right now to make this team a better team. Uh, Boris Diaw, he's brought some veterans in uh, uh, to come in and play. Uh, uh, Rajah Bell, another guy from Phoenix, able to get him in the fold. So he's changed really the, the fabric of what this team has done. And Mike and Larry Brown has done pretty much the same thing. I mean, he's a credible, knowledgeable coach who's been there and won on every level. So yeah. I think the players have a tendency sometimes to listen a little bit more intently when a guy is a winner and a proven winner at that. And, and I would totally agree with you there. Even though, you know, Larry Brown had his um, – he butted heads with uh, Allen Iverson when Allen Iverson prayed for him. And I always wonder now if uh, Allen Iverson regrets not listening to Larry Brown because um, you're right. Larry Brown has been there on every level um, mm-hmm. and been successful at it each turn. Well, those guys were two guys who worked together to bring out some good in each other. You think about Larry Brown, Iverson, and Larry Brown went to the championship where they eventually right. lost to Shaquille O'Neal. Uh, I think those were, if you look at the golden days for Allen Iverson when he was the MVP, it was while Larry Brown was there. Yeah, they had their run-ins about practice and all that kind of stuff, but if, they, if you look back on, on Iverson's career and highlight that in the NBA, the best times for Allen Iverson is when he was alongside Coach Larry Brown, and he would be the first one to tell you that now after looking back on it. In hindsight, 20, hindsight is always twenty twenty. And speaking of Allen Iverson, it's interesting too here, here lately. I noticed that, uh, well, for him, he cut his hair, and so did uh, Carmelo Anthony. And I'm just wondering, um, is this a change in disposition and attitude, you know, on and off the court for these fellas? You know, because if I remember correctly, in 2005, Allen Iverson fought um, at the dress code of the NBA. Mm. And, you know, now he's like he's conforming to uh, what he was totally against at one time. Well, as you get older, again, your values change. And I think the embracing of the hip-hop world, when you are 21 years old is different when you're 32 years old or 33 years old and you've been in this league a while and you have a family and kids to to raise. So it's a, it's a different perspective now that they have. Uh, ben Wallace was another guy who cut his hair. But I think it's just all about, you know, maturing as a person and you see yourself in a different light and you want your kids and your family to see yourself, see you in a different light. And I think that's what, you know, those guys did. Uh, going going back one more time to the the Bobcats and um, Bob Johnson and, and again I, you know I focus on them a little bit since I lived in Charlotte and I really want to see the team be successful um, after being there during the Charlotte Hornets uh, time span. Do you think? Uh, and I, I'm just wondering if you're throwing it out there because I know Bob Johnson is really concerned about the fact that. Um, they hadn't been filling the arena as they had expected, as they had done during the um, the Hornets um, span. Um, 
is there any possibility that the Charlotte Bobcats would leave Charlotte or? Uh, well, you, you never can tell these days who would go where. You can hold cities for a ransom. I never thought that Seattle Supersonics would leave Seattle and and, and move and go to Oklahoma, uh, Vancouver to move around. Franchises move around these days. And sometimes people say, well, you need a franchise. You need this. You know, teams don't necessarily places don't need it. They're going to still do well without it. Los Angeles, one of the biggest markets we have in the United States, doesn't have professional football teams. So you would never think that that would be the case. So hey, you never know with a franchise who's going to wear who's going to wear, but it depends on who owns the team. Yeah. I know he was anticipating a, a, a big windfall, but especially because of. Uh, but I, I think the one thing that. Um, as an organization, they didn't understand about North Carolina. Even though North Carolina is a big basketball country, is that the fans um, have long memories. And I think the situation with George Shin leaving there and how he left um, still reigns true for most people that live in that particular area. Well, I think that that is the case. Uh, George Shin, you know, being there and the way, uh, you know, they left Charlotte and pretty much just stole away pretty much in the night and went down to New Orleans. But at the same time, people understand, you know, how franchises are going to move. I think one of the things that happened, though, to me was that when Bob Johnson initially got the team, it was a rush to get the team back on the floor. Uh, and what they did in Charlotte, they had a Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Coliseum, which was outside the city. They were building a brand-new Coliseum inside the city. And in Bob's rush, he could have waited one year and left the ghost of the past. But what they did, they went back into the old building. And I think the spirit in that building was damaged. And when they went back into the old building, you know, yeah, they had a different name, you know, Bobcats, but it seemed like the same kind of team, the same kind of sounds went there. I mean, if he had waited, I think, one more year, I think it would have gave more of a, a separation between the two things, the two entities which were bad, the team leaving and George Shin. But when you went back, you kind of bought things. They didn't, they hadn't closed the full circle. Eventually, you know, they will close the full circle, and, you know, people's spirits will get over that. One thing that happens, though, when you have a team, teams in Charlotte and Atlanta, is that you don't have the, you, you're just starting to develop the generational fans. And what I mean by that is that you have the NBA like in Boston, the Celtics have been around, I don't know, 70 years. You've had 70 years' worth of fan base. The Bobcats have been in existence now, what, four years? years right. So if you got four years, you don't have that, that fan that I took my son and he takes his son and that son takes this one or, or daughters or whatever. So that's how you get a real fan base is when you grow up with a team and you're able to express interest about that team with your generations before you and after you and in the middle. and But you can't do that with a young team. You have to grow with that team. And, and that's something Charlotte and a lot of those teams right now in the South have always struggled with because they're, they're new fan bases. I uh, know. But then, then if, if you're saying that's the case, then how could that be, especially after when, well, then maybe I have the answer to this anyway as, I, as I'm posing the question. I was going to say when um, – you had the arena Charlotte Coliseum that you were talking about that was outside of the city selling out for 10 seasons, if I'm not mistaken, 10 to 11 seasons in a row. Well, if you lived in Charlotte, point, oh, sorry. if you lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, with not a professional team there, it became a social gathering. And that is one of the things that happens when you bring a new team in. You will have that in, influx, the the, the love affair that you'll have, but in order to maintain that, you have to start playing well. Charlotte started playing really well when they got Larry Johnson, Alonzo Morning, those guys came in the pole, and it really, you know, invigorated their fan base. So, I mean, they got things going the right direction, and then all of a sudden they pull out. So you you have these this, this whole thing about, you know, them selling out, and remember, they had a bad team that first couple of years, you know. Yeah. And with, they had a bad team, and, and they were getting cheered when they were down by 50 points. They were losing the team. But 
but that was because it was brand. It was a brand new product in the city, and it wasn't about coming to the games, but it was more about a social gathering to get in there to see the movers and the shakers. When you when you have a major franchise, you have have a professional franchise come to any city early on. That's what you're going to have. Oklahoma's experienced that right now with their franchise. We'll see if, in fact, that dies off. They're the only game in town, and this is what happened with Charlotte. One thing in that, though, that I was thinking about as, as you were saying that, one of the problems with Charlotte, and I don't want to rehash their whole, whole old history, but uh, was the front office and the decisions that the front office made. And I think that was their downfall and why they had to, they were leaving, too, because, you know, when they signed that contract with Larry Johnson, of course he was in the best of health when they did it, and with Alonzo Mourning, you know, they um, – um, uh, what was the deal? What was, what was his contract? $65 million at the time? Well, it, it was something, some something big crazy. number like that. Mike, yeah, 10 something crazy that was, that was out of the, the realm of any other NBA player at, at the time. And well, I, the, the thing that happened, though, Kara, I think. Themselves and I was priced to leave. Well, I don't think that they did that. One thing you wanted to do with your franchise, and they looked ahead, and I think that, you know, for now, if you think about it, if you get Lonzo Mourning, if you could get him for ten million dollars a year now, you'd be like, oh my God, what you know, what a deal! But they looked into the future and what they wanted to do. They wanted to, they did something revolutionary. Is they tied up their major players? They wanted to tie those guys up. Unfortunately for Charlotte, Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson did not get along together. And when that happened, Alonzo forced Charlotte to trade him. And really, the spirit and the backbone of that team kind of left, and they left together. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. that. That I do agree with. I, I won't stay on Charlotte. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, back in the uh, 90s, I used to crash the um, National Black Coaches Association Conference, and the resounding theme each year was the low number of black coaches in football, basketball, baseball. So within the last two years, well, two years ago, there were two black coaches in the Super Bowl. This year alone, there's seven, seven out of 12 ACC coaches are African-American, and even the Celtics coach is African-American. This year, um, Michael Brown won the NBA Coach of the Year, and I'll play what LeBron James had to say. Um, congratulations to Coach, um, Coach staff. Um, it's a great feat for himself as an individual and then for the coaching staff. They've done a great job with the team. And, and uh, one thing we just try to do as players, we just try to go out there and execute the game plan that they give us and, and try to play hard. Um, I think it's uh, unbelievable when you look at all the coaches in the league, all the great coaches, and Phil Jackson, uh, Jerry Sloan, Greg Popovich, Larry Brown, all these coaches. And uh, Mike Brown is the um, coach of the year. So um, congratulations to Maybe sometimes didn't give the credit he deserves because he's got you. Uh, well, yeah, I think that's, that was the main reason. Um, you know, but that doesn't take away from the fact that uh, we, we got to still go out there and play for him and, and abide by his system and go out there. It's a lot of teams with great talent, um, but that doesn't all automatically classify you as a good coach or gives you wins as a team. So, um, you know, it just showed this year how good of a coach he is. How has he grown or changed in the, in the four years? Um, well, he, and just, you know, going through, you know, playoff series and going through a season and going through certain players, you know how to adjust to certain situations, just like the rest of us. We've all grown and um, we've helped each other. We've helped the coaching staff. The coaching staff has helped us. And, um, you know, we've got to this day by him being coach of the year. So, uh, wow, it's a great day. So, from the outside looking in, it's hard to tell what was changed the trajectory of the league. Um, in regard to the hiring practices of coaches? Well, I think one of the things, the NBA has always been in the forefront when it's come to that. I mean, one of the, the first ones is Bill Russell, one of the first black coaches. I didn't go Lenny, Lenny uh, Wilkins was, one, was a great coach, I think, who had won more games and also lost more games than anybody. So you've had a number of black coaches who have coached the game. Uh, so the NBA has really been, again, uh, I think a drum major in 
you know, rights and, and getting the other players and getting minorities involved in coaching and management. So uh, I can speak in, in that respect. Now, I know that they talk about college football, you know, has huge and major problems about uh, the acquisitions of, you know, black coaches. But the NBA and, for the most part, I think college basketball have all made uh, determined efforts to have black coaches uh, in their ranks. Um, playoff predictions. Um, the Cleveland's playing Detroit. Yeah, I think in the first first series. Mm-hmm. Who would you pick, Cleveland or Detroit? I end up picking Cleveland. Cleveland has the best record in the league. Cleveland has been outstanding all year long. Uh, you know, LeBron and his and his the, the unit which is accompanying him has been sensation. Orlando and Philly. Uh, it's going to be a toss-up, and it, a lot depends on what happens in this next game. Orlando lost to Philly in the first game, and you know the pressure is still on Orlando that they have to bounce back and win that second game. It's just like Celtics; you don't want to be down 0-2, losing the first two at home, and then having to go to the opposition's place and win a couple of games. So a lot of it has to do with what happens in this next game. What about uh, Atlanta and Miami? Well, I would I would just cheer, and it is personal, my personal friendship with Mike Woodson, who's a good buddy of mine, who's the head coach of Atlanta Hawks. I, I would hope that Atlanta would win, but at the same time, I have a very good friend, too, who's assistant coach over there for the Miami Heat, and that'd be Bob McAdoo. So I got allegiances kind of going both ways, but Atlanta is the closest thing to Charlotte. And, uh, you know, I, I happen to love Atlanta, so I probably would say Atlanta. But, but you'd be happy either way based on your uh, allegiance to both guys. Yeah, you know, but, you know, if I had to get off a fence, and I will, I'd just say probably Atlanta. What about Denver and New Orleans? Uh, Chauncey Billups has, has really uh, smashed Chris Paul in the mouth, and, and they go ahead and they're bumping and grinding with Chris Paul, making it tough for him. He's been an all-star point guard in the NBA, but uh, New Orleans was a very disappointing team this year. I thought this was a team that was going to go further. They had to get James Posey, a key acquisition, uh, you know, for the Celtics in, uh, in their championship quest, and I thought he would make them just a tougher Team, tougher, smarter, better shooting team, but it has not translated like that. And personally, uh, New Orleans is taking a step backwards. So I would definitely say Denver Nuggets, who are probably playing better basketball. And, and Denver just, uh, well, they're, well, I was going to say they're no longer playing with Iverson. Iverson's in Detroit now, if I'm not mistaken. Well, Iverson's in Detroit, but Iverson right now has pretty much been relegated to being sent home. And, like, they're just telling Iverson, you don't fit in our system, you don't fit in our scheme, and we're going to move elsewhere. And what they're doing, they're going to use his salary to try to get acquisitions to come to um, Detroit next year. Iverson's about at the, the $18, $19 million mark. They can take part of that salary, be under the, the luxury tax, and go out and try to acquire some free agent for, like, $19 million a year. And, you know, it's a great class coming up here. LeBron is going to be up. I think next year, uh, D. Wade is up. Uh, Chris Paul, uh, not Chris Paul, but um, uh, uh, Bosch. Chris Bosch is going to be a free agent. So you've got a lot of guys who are going to be free agents. And and some of these guys aren't going to sign back with the original teams. And Detroit's a hell of a place to play basketball. You think about, you know, all the noise that they make in the Palace. Right. But, but saying that about Iverson, you know, he's like the Terrell Owens of basketball. Where does he fit in? Well, right now it's hard to say because the game the game has changed so much. You know, I still think he has a lot of talent, but the game has changed. It used to be maybe you could out-dribble most of the zone schemes, but now the defenses have caught up right now to the offenses. And you and what Iverson really did well was dribble – dribble the basketball, get towards the hole. Maybe a step slower than he was before, not as explosive. And so he can't beat that double team, and, it, and his game is almost like eventually like it, you know, it becomes obsolete. So I think he's going to have a tougher time because he's not big and he's not strong than everybody. He's always relied on his quickness and his ability to break down defenses. 
and I think that's going to be weighing the way defense is being played now. But that, too, and his personality just doesn't mesh with a lot of teams and their programs, you know, I would think. Yeah, there are things about his personality which are really difficult. I mean, he could be prickly. Uh, but, you know, a lot of superstars and people in this world who, who have great talent are prickly. Right. Uh, I, happen to, I happen to love Iverson as a, a player. I've always thought he was a competitor, a guy who would bring it. But, uh, you know, things do change. And, uh, you know, everybody has his day. And Iverson is like in his 12th or 13th year now. So it's, uh, it becomes extremely hard, really, to get up year after year. And, but the thing about it, he's made a huge impact on this league. He's made a huge impact for Reebok. Uh, you know, Iverson's been uh, – Iverson will be a guy to me who will be a Hall of Famer. Um, so, again, a first ballot. He was the MVP in this league. Scored over twenty thousand points. This is uh, these are great numbers. Only number he really hasn't had is, you know, that last little champagne to win the championship at the very end. Right, right. Um, San Antonio and Dallas. Well, it'll be two good games. Uh, you know, San Antonio's getting a little bit older right now. With Michael Finley, Manu Ginobili, one of the key acquisitions for San Antonio is out. So San Antonio is missing the same kind of Kevin Garnett, you know, player in Manu Ginobili. Manu Ginobili is a very explosive around the rim, a great penetrator, attacks the rim, scores well. And without him, you lose a huge portion of your offense. So uh, Dallas has been kind of up and down. They can't get any stops. That is one of those series that I think will be a toss-up. And Portland and Houston. Uh, Portland's played well this year. They've gotten some great contributions, but I think that Yao Ming has been sensational this year. And along with that, Ron Artest has been a great citizen, a great role model for a lot of guys to be out there, and he's just has played hard. And to me, he's been an all-star, so I'd probably pick Houston. And um, since we're talking about the West and teams in the West, which team would give L.A. a struggle in the West in the Final Four? There's going to be a bunch of teams out there who are going to do do some things. They're going to push LA. It's not going to be a cakewalk, you know. Phoenix, uh, Phoenix is out of it, obviously. But the team that I look at maybe might be Portland Trailblazers. But Los Angeles Lakers have not won in Portland in five years. As strong as they've been with Kobe Bryant, you know, those kind of numbers, you know, it tells you a story that. You know, some teams just kind of have your number, especially when it comes to playing home. So I wouldn't say it's going to be a cakewalk at all for the Lakers. So uh, you think Portland will be in the Final Four versus uh, instead of um, San Antonio? Mm, you know, no, I don't know. I, I, I don't know about that. I think it's a good scenario. They have a bunch of young, talented players. But as I'm, you know, evaluating Celtics, sometimes, you know, those two things kind of come together, that you have talent. Flyers are older, but at the same time, the heart of the champion can never be denied. You've uh, followed the teams. Or you, you've been on the road with the team all year. Who would you predict is uh, rookie of the year? You, you, I did not hear that question. What was that? And I would like to say you've been following the team. You've been with the team all year, and you've seen every team play in the league. Who would you say would be or is the rookie of the year? Uh, rookie of the year be um, Derrick Rose uh, of the uh, Chicago Bulls, the team that the Celtics are playing right now. He had a spectacular first game for a rookie uh, in the playoffs last year, uh, this year. Uh, it was the other day he had 37 points. So he's been really, really special, and I think he'd be my rookie of the year. What about MVP? MVP would. I think LeBron James, he's played really well. His team has played well. And look at their records. His team is winning. I think he's in a great situation. And a lot of people just don't want to vote for Kobe Bryant. Uh, right. And another fun question. Um, was a debate on uh, Facebook regarding um, Athletic Sports Illustrated had an article regarding the best draft classes of all time. And... Um, have the 84 draft that had Michael Jordan, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, Sam Bowie, uh, the 96 class that had Kobe Bryant, 
remember who else was in that particular class, but I, I've always thought that the 84 class was the best class of all time. Do you have any opinion regarding that? or The 80 which class? 84. Hmm, 84 class with Jordan. Uh, who was that? Uh, I think Akeem um, Elijah Long. I think Iverson was in '96 too, if I'm not mistaken. I have okay, to so you said the '94. You, oh, you're saying the '94 class? Excuse me. I, I said it was like '80, '80, '84 versus '96. Well, and I'm thinking that '84 class was a better class. Well, I, I don't know. I think that you know time will eventually tell. But you start looking at some of the names that you're talking about, and these guys are Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, Kim Elijah, I mean, not Kim Olajuwon, but uh, coming in in 96, I think that at that time, was it Olajuwon's class then, Jordan's class at 86? Yes. uh-huh, that's correct, 84. Yeah. So 84. 84, yeah, 84, Jordan and Olajuwon, those two pieces right there, two of the greatest players of all time. If I had to start me a starting five, I picked those two, and then I could work I down from there. So you had a lot of great names. Uh, so I, it's really hard to say, especially when you start thinking about now, you know, a lot of these guys' careers have not finished. The 84s, most of those guys have finished and established some kind of tempo. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you there, and you're right. Time will tell. The only reason that I say that and, you know, still looking at I, and going back to Iverson again because you mentioned this earlier, the fact that he's never received a ring um, would be a factor to me, you know, as him being – you're right, he's a great player, but um, – and he, you know, definitely be a, uh, a legend, but – I, I still think the 84 class um, is, is a better class, but you're right. We'll, we'll see probably another 10 years and have a better debate on uh, after the the end of their particular careers and see yeah. how it turns out. Yeah, definitely agree. It is always a pleasure to have you on Caroline. I greatly appreciate your um, your comments and opinion and, and to talk about basketball during the playoffs. And uh, wish Boston the best. You guys are in Chicago tomorrow? Yeah, they're going to Chicago tomorrow. We'll be in Celtics. We'll be in Chicago for the next five days. And the oh. games are actually on. We leave Wednesday, and the game is Thursday, Sunday. So we'll be there Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at 12 o'clock. We'll finally come back home. So we'll be in the Windy City some days. So. Good luck to the uh, Boston Celtics, and uh, your fans will be rooting you on. And, again, it was a pleasure having you on Caroline. Thanks again, Frederick. As as they say, sometimes they'll do like this. They'll say, it's packed. (laughs) All the way. Thank you very much. Have a great one. All right. And thank you all again for listening to Caroline. Um, each Wednesday, actually, it was a special tonight for Tuesday, but Wednesday, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So not tomorrow, but next week. Thank you very much for listening to Caroline.